work in progress with me, Nadia Halumaraz, and Antonio Urdaneta. This podcast is for everyone and anyone interested in learning about the latest trending topics in workplace law. This podcast is legal information. It is not legal advice and should not be used in any legal capacity whatsoever. We are employment and labor lawyers, including human rights in the workplace. I focus on assisting small and mid-sized workplaces, those with one to 200 employees, and Nadia helps both employers and employees. Today, we're going to talk about surreptitious recordings, which is secret recordings in the workplace. And this topic comes up for us every once in a while. But there was a new decision that came out of British Columbia, which Nadia will be talking about, that dealt with this issue. And I say that this topic comes often is because we are asked as employment lawyers, can I record a conversation with another employee, with a supervisor, with a manager? Can I record a meeting without them knowing that I'm recording? Is it legal that I record a meeting with one of my coworkers, supervisors, or managers? In the employment context, though, that's not the only question to consider. And that's what Nadia is going to dive in and tell us about today. That's the question that people want to know is either they ask before they've done it or they've done it and they want to know if they're in trouble. <laughs> the legality of it really is more of a criminal law question and, and neither Antonio nor I are criminal lawyers. It's my understanding that it is lawful to record a, a conversation as long as one party to the conversation consents. As long as you're part of the conversation, you are a party to that conversation. And so you are consenting to that conversation being recorded. There's other places that are two-party consent, meaning that both parties have to consent to a conversation being recorded, but Canada is a one-party consent, meaning only one party needs to consent. For any uh, Seinfeld fans out there, you can bring a briefcase with a recording device in the briefcase and record a conversation. But what you can't do is what George Costanza does, which is that he's the bathroom and leaves the recording device behind to see what people are saying about him. <laughs> but as Antonio mentioned, that's not the end of the analysis. And I think most times when employees ask that, I think the question that they should be asking is, should I record a conversation in the workplace or what are the implications or ramifications if I do. I've collected cases that have dealt with this question in the employment context, and we're going to go through them and, and talk about what they found. What I, what I understand, Nadia, is that we would not find a section in a law like the Employment Standards Act or the Occupational Health and Safety Act that actually mentions surreptitious recordings. It's a matter of, as you mentioned, Criminal Code of Canada, and you mentioned that Canada, is, it's a one-party rule. One-party consent jurisdiction. So that means that all the provinces and all the territories have one-party rule. Different, like, for example, the neighbor from the south that have states that are one-party rule and two-party rule. And um, I totally understood the George Costanza example. I appreciate it. <laughs> All right. The first case is Fredrickson and New Tech Dental Laboratory, Inc. from 2015, British Columbia Court of Appeal. This is an example of an employer that's recording an employee. Miss Fredrickson went on a leave of absence. She got her job offered back, but she failed to, uh, she failed to come back and the employer was arguing that she failed to mitigate. Basically, the, the employer is saying by 
failing to come back to work, she failed to mitigate, and that would mean that that would affect the damages that she would uh, that she would get out of a uh, out of a wrongful dismissal action. The reason why she did not accept the offer was because by by that point she had learned that the employer had made surreptitious recordings of her, and this is in the context of a very small office. So we're talking about there's the owner, there's Miss Fredrickson, and there's three other employees. Her argument was that the owner's behavior, including recording her, had broken the employment relationship. And actually, I I misspoke. She did not go on a leave. She was laid off. So basically, the issue at trial was, did Ms. Fredrickson fail to mitigate her damages by refusing reemployment? And the trial judge agreed with the employer and said that it was reasonable, or it would have been reasonable for her to accept reemployment. And so she did fail to mitigate. So she appealed. Basically, the issue at appeal was, did the trial judge fail in not considering the employer's bad faith in having secretly recorded her? There was another incident of bad faith. The owner had discussed her employment with another employee and in the context of a small workplace, was that an example of bad faith? Antonio, how do you think that the appellate judge is going to decide? My understanding is that courts and administrative tribunals, like human rights tribunals, for example, would look at the purpose of the recording. It would be very different a person who is recording, for example, for the purpose of collecting evidence when that person feels harassed or discriminated against, which courts will probably lean towards accepting that evidence and evidently based on one party rule. Another thing is when the purpose is to, like you mentioned in this case, acting in bad faith and trying to hurt the other parties in the room. In this case, and I'm not betting my life on it, but I would say (laughs) that the court accepted the surreptitious recording, not accepted the surreptitious recording for its content, but it accepted the surreptitious recording for the purpose of showing bad faith that the person wasn't expected to go back to that employment specifically. But let's see. Ultimately, right. The appellate judge did find that the trial judge was clearly wrong in failing to reflect the mutuality of trust in the context of employment and said that the question is, would a reasonable person in the employee's position have accepted the employer's offer? Just as trust of an employee is an important aspect for the employer, so too is trust of the employer. The the trust had clearly been eroded by the two incidents, him recording two occasions of crime private conversations and the conversation that he had had with uh, with another employee about uh, Ms. Fredrickson. It is fair that you that you were a bit cautious because we actually don't know what the recording said. So we, we don't know what the content of the recording was, but you're right that it seems to the judge that that wasn't really important. It was the fact that recordings had been made and how uh, he planned to, uh, to use them. The next case comes from Manitoba. Uh, this is Hart and Parish and Heimbecker Limited, 2017 Manitoba Queens Bench. So Mr. Hart sued for wrongful dismissal damages after the company uh, terminated his employment. He had been the subject of four separate complaints from his co-workers. After the third complaint, Mr. Hart began to secretly record meetings with senior management. After the fourth complaint, the decision was made to terminate uh, his employment. 
In addition to the four workplace complaints, the employer relied on the fact that he had started to secretly record his meetings. At the time that they fired him, they knew about the complaints and that was the basis for firing him. But then the employer also relied on the fact that he started recording meetings with uh, with management. The court found just cause on the basis of the four complaints. Any comments, I guess, before I, I take you through what the judge said? I would say that in this case, if the judge had to rule on the secret recording, the judge would go to the content of the recording before making a decision. The judge commented the inappropriate use of his cell phone and secretly recording meetings with his superiors does amount to a breach of his confidentiality and privacy obligations to the defendant. The misuse of his cell phone was also a breach of his personal code of conduct. In conducting the contextual analysis and assessing the severity of the misconduct, the plaintiff did not disclose the recording to third parties outside of the defendant other than to his legal counsel and for the purpose of these uh, proceedings. Yes, it was a breach of confidentiality and privacy, but at least he didn't uh, use it other than to give it to his lawyer and for the purpose of these proceedings. The next one is Share and Yukon. came from 2018 Yukon, uh, the lower level court. This involved a probationary employee who was dismissed in part on the fact that he made surreptitious recordings of colleagues and clients. Mr. Scher suggested that the recordings were made to guard against discrimination and that he was acting as a whistleblower. Mr. Scher had released the content of certain recordings publicly. Any, any thoughts? Hmm. The public release of it. I think that, that I will stop on recording it, getting legal advice, how to use that recording, and bring it to a to the appropriate forum and not releasing that publicly because of that in that case we're talking about you are breaching the confidentiality of your if you have an employment agreement with a confidentiality clause but also without having an employment agreement with a confidentiality clause you as an employee need to protect your your employer anyways yeah you shouldn't release the information publicly He's a probationary employee. So the court did find that such recordings of conversations at the workplace would justify termination of a probationary employee. It cannot be said that Mr. Scher's conduct and subsequent criticism of the Yukon government had no impact on his ability to continue to perform effectively his duties as a public servant. The employer felt that Mr. Scher had irreparably damaged the trust and confidence in him by undertaking the secret recordings. This was a complete breakdown of the relationship of trust between him and his employer as a result of the secret recordings. One might argue that such conduct might also be grounds for disciplinary action. It's clear from the evidence that the government uh, elected to reject him on probation rather than take disciplinary action, and it had every right to do so. Uh, instead of being terminated, he could have been uh, disciplined, but he was a probationary employee. The employer was within uh, their rights to say, you know what, we're just going to terminate the employment uh, while it's in the probationary period. It then went to appeals and uh, the appeal court uh, agreed uh, with the chamber's judge decision and again repeated comments about the complete breakdown of trust. All right, uh, and now we have Sancrecha and Cameron J. and Beach Sales uh, from 2018 Ontario Superior Court. A service advisor was terminated when it was discovered he had installed spyware on his employer's computer, which had been secretly recording activities on the computer for a month. 
So not recording conversations, but recording, you know, everything that's going on on, on a computer. So what do you think? George Costanza's advice. <laughs> so yes, uh, you know, secretly installing spyware on an employer's computer is a clear breach of faith or trust uh, in the work relationship. And installing the spyware had only one purpose, the wholesale collection of the employer or his co-workers' confidential information. It doesn't matter that in these circumstances, most of the information collected was inconsequential. You know, it doesn't matter that you didn't end up collecting anything of use. The fact is you were trying to, co to collect uh, anything, really. And again, that the evidence indicates that this was neither a single incident nor a momentary lapse of judgment. You know, the installation of this spyware took considerable planning and subterfuge. Now we arrive to the main course, which is the decision that came out this year from BC, Shalligan and Mercer Seller Limited Partnership. After Mr. Shalligan's termination, he filed an Employment Standards Act complaint, a human rights complaint, and a wrongful dismissal complaint. As part of his human rights proceeding, he produced certain documents, uh, including information about surreptitious recordings that he had taken while employed. At the examination for discovery, he revealed uh, that he recorded several one-on-one -on -one training sessions from 2010 to 2014, over 100 toolbox talk and safety meetings, and then at least 30 one-on-one -on -one meetings with supervisors and HR personnel about compensation and recruitment. So basically, um, uh, this person recorded the whole employment relationship. <laughs> for four years. <laughs> wow. Now, his explanation for at least for the initial recordings were that they were designed to help him learn English. He explained that he did not ask permission to make the recordings, first because it was not illegal, but also because he was aware that people would feel uncomfortable if they knew they were being recorded. He explained that the recordings with the supervisors and HR were to create a record of interactions that he thought might relate to his rights. He also had conversations with HR about discrimination and bullying treatment. So that was the purpose of recording supervisors and HR. And he acknowledged that at least some of his recordings were unethical even if not illegal, the employer asserted after acquired cause. On the one hand, there is the whole, why is he He's recording? Coming. Is it because of, uh, you know, legitimate concerns about human rights and bullying, which it seems like, uh, like there is some of that. Um, but then where were all these recordings stored. I feel like you have to intentionally be saving them or paying for extra, you know, extra cloud space. The court noted that although it is lawful to record conversations so long as one party consents, legality is not the sole barometer. The question is whether the employee's actions fundamentally rupture the relationship such that the mutual trust between the parties is broken. Surreptitious recording can cause material damage to the relationship of trust between the employee and the employer. The judge said that he knew that his fellow employees would be uncomfortable, yet he continued to make them. Interestingly, the plaintiff was a CPA. The judge also commented that plaintiff's professional obligations provide additional support for finding that he did not conduct himself as a CPA should have done. Professionals in positions of high accountability can be expected to respect the standards established by their professions. He accepted that the plaintiff was not acting with malice in making the recordings and that this was a mitigating factor. However, 
the fact that his stated basis for the recordings were all unnecessary or ill-founded and several were designed to benefit him alone weighs on the other side of the ledger. He accepted that the plaintiff did not publish the recordings and did not seek to make use of them for his own benefit outside of obviously the ongoing legal proceedings and, and that that was a mitigating factor, but the sheer volume of recordings and the length over which they occurred generally offsets this factor. <laughs> if you haven't guessed, you did find it was just cause. A couple of points. One, when we're talking about employment relations, I encourage employers and employees to remember that there are legal tools that they can use to control whatever they need to happen in the workplace. So contracts, policies, if we're talking about a unionized environment, collective agreements, and those tools can talk about secret recordings. Do we mm -hmm. allow secret recording in this workplace or not? If yes, under what conditions and terms? If not, are there exceptions, right? So control your workplace before you have to go to a court or to a human rights tribunal or to the Ministry of Labor to find out whether the recording was legal or illegal. That's one thing. The second point after listening to these decisions is that, Nadia, within the employment context, I think that we have neither one nor two-party rule in Canada. What we have is, and it depends on the purpose of the recording, that um, it would be, after the fact, accepted as a valid behavior or rejected as a poor behavior, and it will depend on the circumstances. The judges are assessing what is the context, and as uh, we've mentioned before, the purpose of that recording. They're not too concerned about one or two-party rule. As lawyers, as advocates in a courtroom, I don't think that we will be successful saying, Your Honor, yes, that recording should be allowed because Canada is a one-party rule and my client recorded the, the meeting while my client was in the meeting. So I don't think that that's enough for persuading a decision maker on, on whether they will accept or not. The recording, which at the end is one-party rule, two-party rule, it doesn't matter. That's what I meant at the, at the beginning, right? That the question that employees typically ask us is, is it legal? But once you answer that, that's not really the end of the story. The question is, should you, knowing um, all of these, you know, that it's not just about whether it's legal, but whether it's ethical and whether it's actually going to help in your case. A lot of the decisions that we talked about really recognize that it was, that it is legal, right? The, the court noted that although it is lawful to record conversations, so long as one party consents, legality is not the sole barometer. So I, I think you're right. It's not so much the legality of the, of the conversation, but the fact that the employee recorded the conversation, can it be found that in doing so, the, the relationship has been ruptured? Do you have a joke for us today? So Nadia, this boss asked the employee, do you believe there is life after death? The employee was puzzled by the question, but responded, I don't know. There is no proof. The boss came closer mm -hmm. to the employee and whispered, well, there is now. Yesterday, after you left work saying that you had to go to your grandma's funeral, she called the office looking <laughs> for you. There you Good go. One. <laughs> <laughs> it was a great topic, Nadia. It was a great topic. All right, great. Well, if you need detailed information that's specific to your workplace, you can find Antonio at Antonio at workplacelegal.ca. And you can find me at Nadia, N-A-D-I-A -A, at Witten Lublin. 
whitelublin.com, W-H-I-T-T-E-N-L-U-B-L-I-N.com. All right, all right, all right. Thank you for listening to this episode of Work in Progress. All our episodes are available in Spotify and other podcast platforms. If you think that there is somebody out there who needs to listen to this episode or our podcast, don't be shy and please share this podcast with them. Until the next time. Bye.